All right. Good morning, guys. So, you know, as a pastor, I told the morning group, I don't usually get to get away and visit other churches like you guys might have the freedom to. And so it's a, quite a privilege to be able to come here and share God's word and to join the saints at Cornerstone and worship with you all. So thank you so much for the invitation. Um, we're going to jump straight into God's word. And so if you're able, please stand with me. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9. And if you forgot your Bibles, we have it projected as well. But uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, starting, at verses, starting at verse 4, and I'm going to read to verse 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Cornerstone, the grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord Amen. Please have a seat. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your word, we want to approach you with reverence and with joy and with humility. And so we need your spirit uh, that we would come to your word with the right attitude, that we would have a teachable heart, Lord God. Make our hearts like a fertile soil, that as your seeds are planted uh, in our hearts, that much fruit would uh, grow from it, much uh, uh, a plant would come out that would be beautiful to you, and that it would be a, um, a blessing not only to ourselves, but to your church and for your glory alone. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now that I feel like uh, I'm getting a little bit older, I know I look pretty young, but uh, it's hard to believe. Yeah, I'll be actually, I'm in my mid-40s, and so I'll be at 45 in a couple of days. And uh, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or whatnot, but things definitely seem more different now than when I grew up uh, pretty much in the 80s, right? Uh, things are very different with a lot of different racial issues across the nation, shootings happening like it's like nothing, the pandemic, right? We never experienced that before. The LB, uh, LGBTQ issues that are going on. So many things are so different. It seems so stressful today than it was when I grew up. And I don't care like what gender you are, what race, what age, what social economic class you belong to. Everyone struggles with anxiety. Everyone struggles with stress, do we not? And to give you an example, you know, my kids now, they're in uh, middle school. And sometimes I'll look at them and I'll smile. And they'll be like, Dad, why are you being so creepy? <laughs> right? And I'll smile because I think, my gosh, how nice would it be to be a kid, right? You don't have to worry about bills. You don't have to worry about the mortgage. You don't have to worry about church. You don't have to worry about anything. Just have fun. Go study. And yet when I think about it, if you were first serious, don't kids actually stress and worry too? Even from a young age, like little kids, and I'm talking about like they're crying over candy, right? They're not sure if they'll have enough, so they'll hoard it. 
And you have to teach them to struggle because they feel like they won't have enough. They're afraid to go to sleep at night, right? So stressed that they can't even sleep because it's so dark, they're afraid. And then as they get older, there's grades, being accepted, being popular, having a boyfriend, all these different worries. And it doesn't stop. As we get older, then we have money. We got debt. We got bills. We got our future. We got our retirement. And even if we are financially secure, we still worry about the future, do we not? Our health, our children, our parents, right? I feel like I'm at a weird age now that not only am I worrying about my kids, but my parents are getting really elderly. She's almost, my mom's almost 80 years old. And now I'm like trying to take care of her. And I'm so stressed, right? My father-in-law, he has colon cancer. We're like worried about how do we get him to the hospital when he lives in New York? So much stress. Worrying, worrying and anxiety. It's like the worst thing, isn't it? From a young age, it keeps going throughout different parts of your life. And so as I was praying, what should I share at, at Cornerstone, you know? There's so many things in the Bible, so many different topics to touch on. And yet I feel like the Lord really pressed upon me Philippians chapter 4. Because in this day and age, with all that's going on within our nation, within our homes, right? Within our church. Church is so stressful, is it not? I told the morning group, I quit uh, working corporate. I worked for seven years at Price Waterhouse. And I was like, oh, this is so stressful. I can't wait to go into ministry. It's like more stressful, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, I want to go back to corporate, you know? But when you look at chapter four here, Paul's actually saying a lot. And I, I apologize because I won't be able to go over every single thing because he's, he's like this parent, like I shared, uh, one commentator wrote, he's like a parent trying to rattle off all these last minute advice to a college student when he drops them off, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to be there. Set your alarm, right? Don't cram. Don't eat too much. Freshman 15. <laughs> but then eat all your meals because we're paying for your meals, right? You lose it if you don't use it. But out of all the things Paul's saying here, the thing I really want to share with you guys as brothers and sisters is just Scripture's answer to anxiety. How do we respond to that in our life? And by looking at our text, there's two things I want to point out. Very simple. First, by going over the context and a little bit of the background, because I've been studying Philippians for some time now. And some of the common causes, uh, warnings, really, warnings for the church to be careful. When you focus on some of these things too much, it's going to make you worry, right? Not only the causes, but also the cure. So the two things, the cause and the cure of anxiety. The first thing is, let's go over some causes. When you look at the book as a whole, uh, one of the major things that Philippians point out, if we go backwards to Philippians chapter 3, uh, Paul gives this big speech, right? And he's so confident in himself. And he says, this is the way I used to be because I used to be the Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He was the man. All the things that he accomplished, everyone adored him. Everyone praised him. And yet when Paul meets Jesus and he comes to understand the gospel, this whole list of things that he writes down, he says, all of it is poop. All of it is dung. It's all rubbish, right? 
all the things he considered wins, they were losses. All the things that he said, these are the, uh, 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 the joys and crown of his life. It's all trash. The affection and love he received. Now he's being rejected. He's being thrown into jail. And so I'm pretty sure if Paul felt all of this heat, all of this pressure from once winning everything, never failing, receiving love, and now he's on the other flip side. Failure, rejection. In the same way, you know, when you look at the other believers at Philippi, I'm sure they felt the same pressures. This is their leader. Imagine, okay, Andrew is your leader, and you catch him, like, during his sabbatical, like, living this, like, ungodly, like, you know, he goes to jail, he's caught in Vegas, and he's doing all this stuff. You guys would be like, oh, my gosh, can't even lift up your head because that's your leader, right? And so these guys, they must have felt the same way. They felt like losers. The family rejected them. They're like, you are following this cult. How come you're not a, a good Israelite, a good Hebrew? Co-workers, friends, they thought they were crazy. They were being rejected just like Paul, persecuted with their lives at stake. A lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety from all the rejection around them. And if we think about it, you and I know how stressful rejection is too, isn't it? Again, children being rejected from friends. My kids, they're now they're in like they're in eighth grade. They really love sports. They play all these club sports, right? So you go to these different places and it's like all-star teams and they're afraid. Will we make it or will we not? If you're a high school student in here, I'm sure remember those days or even for us when we did applications, waiting for that letter, will we be accepted? And again, the older we get, some of us may be single. All my friends are getting married. I'm not married yet. That job that I really want, I bombed that interview. And even if I do get that job that I wanted, what if I fail at it? What if they say you stink? How much pressure, how much uh, anxiety that causes? A lot of it from our fear of rejection and failure, right? A second source of worrying and anxiety that Philippians also teaches us is finances. This time, let's go forward from our passage. And if you look here, is this it? Yes, it is. So if you look here, if you look at verses 10 to 20, Paul is thanking the church uh, because money was such a source of stress to him. In verse 14 specifically, if you look down there, Paul says that money was trouble. It caused him trouble until the church's donations came in. And it wasn't just Paul either, but the church too. Because later on in another letter in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about multiple churches in Macedonia where they're worrying about money. And some of these churches in Macedonia are Thessalonica, right? First Thessalonians, the letter, Berea, Philippi. These are all churches struggling with money. And so again, it's really crazy. The thing about money is it doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a millionaire or homeless, everyone struggles with money. 
And I think especially as people who live in America, doesn't it seem like the more money that we have, the more we want and the more we stress over it? I used to think growing up in an immigrant family and with a single mom and uh, financially struggling, I can't wait to grow up and make real money. Then I don't have to stress about money at all. You know, if I just have a good amount. And yet for many of us, many Americans, many people in our generation, as one commentator noted, the challenge for us in terms of contentment is not to be content when we have nothing, right? The challenge for us really is when we're in a situation where we have more than what we need, but we feel like we don't have enough and we want more. Isn't that tough? John Calvin puts it this way. He who knows how to use abundance soberly and temperately with thanksgiving, prepared to part with everything whenever it may please the Lord, giving also a share to his brother according to his ability and is also not puffed up, that man has learned to excel and to abound. This is an excellent and rare virtue and much greater than the endurance of poverty. You see, money has this strange power over us, right? Where it makes us want it so badly. And we start to worry. And if we don't have enough or we don't get it, then we get nervous, right? Friends, do you stress about finances? Maybe some of us living paycheck to paycheck. Or maybe some of us are on the other side. We're in a good position. We have a lot in our 401k. And yet we still worry, right? Who knows what the market holds? What if we don't have enough? My son's in the eighth grade. He's going to be graduating high school in four years. Four years is nothing, right? We all know that, especially if you went through college. You know how fast four years goes by. What am I going to do to pay for his college? What if when he gets married, how am I going to pay for his wedding? If this is us, brothers and sisters, the Bible is warning us, be careful. Be careful to be too concerned about money and causing stress. And the scripture is going to give us a cure for us in a minute. The last thing I want us to look at is scripture not only tells us be careful about failures and rejection, be careful about finances, but the Bible also shows us you got to be careful about relationships. Again, we're going back and forth, but in the context of Philippians, if we go in the back in the same chapter, chapter four, back in verse two, Paul addresses these two women, right? And I know the names sound weird, but Yodia and uh, Syndaki. And these are two prominent women in the church. And yet they're having this huge issue between each other. And what Paul basically says is, others, you guys got to help these women. Because what happens is this issue is not just between them, but it's going to affect the whole church. How many times do we see that, right? When we see someone fighting in the church, couples or anyone that affects the rest of the body. It's not a surprise. Relationships will cause stress and anxiety. And we need to be careful for that. We need to guard ourselves of these things. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do you have relationships that cause 
stressed to you? Maybe between your husband, between a husband and wife here. You know, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things I stress is a lot of couples, they get so happy that they get it to the point of marriage and they made it, right? And yet one of the things I always warn them is marriage is like a home, a physical home, right? And if you own a home, you know it takes a lot of maintenance. And it's slowly, by the time you go all the way around, one thing breaks, you have to go back and you fix the what thing that you originally started with, right? A lot of maintenance. Marriage is similar where if you don't keep building it, build on your marriage, it is slowly deteriorating. It is slowly rotting, right? And so relationships, unless you're building it, it can be a big source of stress. Maybe some of you, it's your children. Elementary years are the best, aren't they? When they're kids, so innocent. My kids were the best. They always listened. (laughs) Now that they're in eighth grade, they think they know everything. Rotten, disrespectful, right? And I'm sure they probably turn around and like, you're so abusive, you know, you're so mean. And it can be a point of contention. It's not easy, right? Raising children. And then you have relationships with coworkers. Isn't that the worst when a toxic environment, when you have an issue with someone at work, your neighbor, someone at church? So awkward, isn't it? When you see that person at church, it used to be so fun, so such a great place, and now it's miserable because of that relationship. And I tell you, friends, if relationship has been a cause of stress, of anxiety, this passage is for us. Whether it's rejection and failure, whether it's money, whether it's relationships that we see here, the church in Philippi had a lot to worry about. They were stressing about a lot of things, just like us. And the question is, how do we battle this anxiety? That's the next point. What's the cure for our stress? You know, um, I think it it really is true. The more you don't use it or you don't appreciate it, you know, you you start like losing the value of things that you once uh, owned or had, right? And one of the things as I'm getting older, I feel like I'm losing my sight. And then because like, you know, I used to go to the nurse's office and you know those reading charts? I used to be so proud because I would go there and I would kill it. They'd be like, whoa, you're better than 2020. You're like 2015 or 2010, right? My vision was really good. But now I'm taking like cholesterol pills. I'm taking high blood pressure pills. And I'm like, can't even read the bottle. I'm like squinting to make sure I read the right one. Or otherwise, I'll do more harm than good. And in the same way, there's a lot Paul saying here, but everything basically boils down to When we feel stressed, we need to refocus our sight. We focus and look at Jesus. Because let's be honest, friends. When things are not going well, when we are stressed financially, when we are fighting with people, when we feel like we're rejected and we're failures, let's be honest. I'm pretty sure most of us do not turn to Jesus. Most of us try to figure things out on our own. 
If we failed, how do we succeed, right? If we're in money trouble, how do we get more money? Maybe tithe less? Maybe not donate to the Syria fund? Keep a little bit for ourselves? If we're fighting with people, what do we do? How can we fix it or get rid of that relationship? And what Paul is basically saying is that's precisely why we feel so stressed as a people, why we have so much anxiety. We're trying to carry this burden, trying to figure things out on our own rather than refocusing on Jesus. Squint your eyes and look at Jesus. And that's why when you look at Scripture, it's all over. Look at this. How many times does Paul point to Jesus in our text? Rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is at hand. Let your requests be known to God. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace will be with you. It's so crazy. It's all over that so much that we, we lose focus and we don't even see Jesus, right? But it's very simple. If we feel stressed, if we feel worried, we need to refocus and consider him. Look at all the attributes in verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Think about all these things because all these things describe Christ. And I'm going to give you uh, one example, one concrete example. Look at verse 4 with me if we go back. It goes, and, and Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, to rejoice in Jesus, right? And what Paul is saying is he knows if Christians are rejoicing in God's goodness and God's grace, we are highly likely not to stress about money or failures when your eyes are on Christ. Because you know what's interesting about this word rejoice, rejoicing in Jesus. The word rejoice is a variation of the word joy, right? It makes sense. Rejoice and joy. But what the Bible says about joy is joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And I don't know if you thought about this, but if this is true, that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, this means rejoicing is a supernatural thing. Supernatural. And so there's a major difference between joy and happiness, right? Joy is a Christian virtue that comes from God, but happiness is a worldly virtue that is entirely external, all based on circumstances, right? And so the way we think, let, let me just try to help us process the way we think a lot of times. Happiness defined is defined by success and money, right? Not failure or rejection or lack of money. But when we have happiness, it's because we have success and money. But when there's no success, no money, then there's no happiness, right? Instead, we have anxiety, we have stress. Because our happiness depends on things that we can achieve or acquire. Whether it's success, money, power, going to the gym to work out and have a nice body. All these external things, right? When they go, our happiness goes with it. But joy is very different. If joy is a supernatural thing and it comes from God, 
It rises up in us because God's spirit is in us. And what this means is joy is not an external thing, but the internal thing, right? Joy is not based on circumstances because things may happen that we may not be happy about, but we can still be joyful. Because a Christian is someone that's filled with supernatural joy. They know that happiness is fleeting. True joy doesn't come from focusing on the external things. True joy comes from focusing on the invisible things, right? And that's what Paul is saying. Focus on Jesus, the invisible, right? I'm going to give you one more example of how focusing on Jesus brings uh, is, cures our anxiety. Verse 5. When you look up here, it says, verse 5 says, let your reasonableness, I think most of us, I'm assuming as a PCA church, you guys have ESV Bibles, right? But it says, let your reasonableness, let, let it be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. When you look at the original Greek, this word for reasonableness, I think it's an okay translation, but I think what a better translation would be the word gentleness. And the reason why is in the context of what we're talking about here, it's really talking about a calm, right? A really calm and gracious demeanor when someone's attacking you and someone's coming hard at you. One commentator wrote, just as Aristotle explained gentleness as the willingness to forego one's own rights according to the letter of the law, this word nicely captures the thrust of Paul's earlier exhortation and about the way Christians should treat each other. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And in Titus, how all believers should be gentle and not quarreling. You see, what Paul is saying here is, if you feel stressed about relationships that you might have, look to Jesus. Jesus who's the ultimate display of gentleness and meekness. Jesus who whose return is near, right? That's what it says at the end here. May that motivate our gentleness. When we feel like you're having a quarrel between someone and you're facing injustice, that Jesus is coming soon to make all things right again. But one more thing I, want, I do want to point out is not only the scripture tell us what to do, right? To focus on Jesus, but scripture also tells us how to do it. And what Paul shows us, he says it's through prayer, right? Verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're a church like mine, probably stink at praying. Right, we all do. And I've been trying to get my guys to pray on Sundays, on Saturday nights, and we're saying, guys, we are not a business. If we are a church, we need to pray. And I know it's hard to believe what Paul's saying here. We're like, no way, prayer does not work. But if we are saying no to Paul, we are really saying no to Jesus. Because Jesus said this first in Matthew when he said, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
You see, let me share two quick things about prayer. The reason why we pray, number one, when you read the Bible, the way God works, it's not just like magic, right? It's not like abracadabra and then God just does something. But God works through his people when you look in the Bible. And the way he works a lot of times through his people is through their prayers. So that's one of the main things we need to understand about prayer. But the second thing is, when we pray, it's not because God doesn't know what we need, right? He's not a dummy. He knows everything. But when we pray, it's actually more for us. Meaning when we pray, when we speak aloud, what we're doing is we're expressing our dependence and our trust on God rather than ourselves, right? We're practicing that, to trust God and not us. And that's what Paul's been trying to say this whole time about anxiety. You're putting it on yourself rather than on God. The reason why we are people who worry, people who are, that are so anxious, we have a misplaced trust in our own wisdom. We're going to figure out how to deal with this church issue. We're going to figure out how to deal with this family issue, this financial issue. We're going to figure it out rather than humbly going before God and saying, God, we need you to teach us. We need you to show us. Check out these couple of quotes here. One scholar wrote um, how anxiety, it shows that our hearts are so set on something that we are terrified of losing it and super desperate to hold on to it for dear life. That's something that we cannot bear to lose is our heart's foundation. It's our center of gravity. Even good things, love, family, knowledge, success, it cannot last through the thick and thin because they are creaturely and finite. And then in his book, if you read it, called Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller, he's talking to a bunch of recession-terrified New Yorkers, right? And what he says is, the reason why they worry, you know, when we worry, it's a symptomatic, uh, um, count, uh, symptomatic feature, right, of this counterfeit God that we worship. And we think we have hope in this God that can't provide hope. And it's a weird dynamic. And what Keller says is that anything that becomes more important and non-negotiable to us than God becomes an enslaving idol. In this paradigm, we can locate idols by looking at our most unyielding emotions. What makes us uncontrollably angry, anxious, or despondent? Idols control us since we feel like we must have them or life is meaningless. But if you think about the Christian, we are, should be much different, right? For those who trust in Jesus when we squint our eyes and refocus on him through prayer, we can still rejoice no matter what sorrow or no matter what anxiety we face. And the reason why scripture puts it this way, right? We can still rejoice no matter what tribulation, no matter what distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger or sword, death and life, things present and things to come or anything else in all creation. We can still rejoice. We can still have confidence. You know why? Because even though we may be going through difficult times, the cross shows us that Jesus was separated from God. And so nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what stress, no matter what worry we feel like, it's too much to bear. 
cornerstone. This is the good news. This is the cure that scripture is providing for us. We focus on Christ, treasure the gospel. It will provide joy. It will provide gentleness. It will enable us to shut down our worries and to pray, trusting a real God, not a counterfeit God, right? And so before I close, if you're really stressed, let me share one more uh, passage that I read uh, this past week for my quiet time. And I think it was providential. It comes from Jeremiah 18. And in this passage, God is trying to explain to Israel why they're going through such hard times, such difficulties. And he sends the prophet, he sends Jeremiah down to this potter's house. And this is what Jeremiah writes, his description of what he sees. I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the Lord said to me, like the clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand. You see, what God is basically saying here is, we are all essentially lumps of clay, right? We're nothing but clay until we are in the hands of the master potter who not only created us, but he's shaping our life right now. He's shaping our life right now to be the person that we are meant to be. And if you don't know how a potter works, just from a high level view, if you've seen that movie Ghost, you know, right? Back in the day. <laughs> the clay spinning and whatever, and you see the, you know, the first thing the potter does, working out all the impurities, right? And then the potter continues to poke at it, mold at it, prodding, doing whatever it can to shape it into what it's supposed to be. Think about being like pushed around and squeezed and like being that clay. But the last step is the most painful. The last step is that pot, that, that clay is put through fire, 2,000 degrees temperature. And if you can imagine us being in that kind of temperature, you'd be like, no way. There's no way we can survive. But at the end of that heat, right, that wet clay is solidified. It dries up. It's made permanent. It's made beautiful. It's made priceless. In the same way, brothers and sisters, whatever you're struggling with in terms of your worries, your anxieties, your difficulties, refocus on Jesus. Trust in our God's hands. We can't understand everything he's doing or why, right? We can't. He's infinite. We are finite. But what scripture is calling us to do is trust in Jesus. Trust that everything that we're going through that he's going to use it to make us into a beautiful, priceless son and daughter of God. That's the great promise of God's word for us this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we confess that we are anxious people from the day that we come out of the womb to uh, even as we go through childhood. And even some of us, we're, we feel like we're older. We're so mature. We know everything. We're still nervous. We're still anxious. It's because a lot of times, God, we're following our counterfeit gods rather than following you. 
And so God, we pray that you would change us into a people who, who is not anxious, but confident because we have our God who is watching over us, who is molding us, who is protecting us. God, may we take that, that confidence, may we live, live that out, knowing that you are walking besides us, beside us through the thick and the thin. And I pray that you would bring that confidence to each individual. I pray that you would bring it to the church here at Cornerstone. I pray that as Pastor Andrew is on sabbatical, that you would strengthen him with his calling and the way you have gifted him and all the, the ways that the enemy may be trying to break him down, that it would be a great time of restoration. And so God, I pray that over time, that as your spirit works in Cornerstone, that it would be a church that prays, that loves, and that trusts in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.